Welcome back. You've made it to season three, episode three of Podcast Bozo, where you came just in time to join us in a conversation with Tasha Robinson. Here with me as always, we have locally renowned beer server Sean and celebrated artist slash animator Eli. My name is JJ, but you can call me Antonio D'Antonio. As always, it's good to be with y'all. I want to mention first that this podcast is supposed to be a group effort. We want to hear from you, so please visit podcastbozo.com or our social accounts using at podcastbozo, P-O-D-C-A-S-T. B-O-Z-O. Usually Cheek does that, so I, uh, I jumped ahead of you, sorry, Cheek. And chime in on our <laughs> <Sorry>. conversations. <laughs> we will do our best to engage with you online. Now that we have you trapped here, please donate to our Bozo Fund, and we'll give you a quick shout-out, read whatever you leave in the donation message, or write you a little story. Uh, that's up to you. All you have to do is donate. Well, Tasha, how are we doing today? <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you want to get into politics, but uh, the inauguration was yesterday. I'm doing great. Don't don't you worry. That will come up in a second. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess I guess Tasha. Right now, you have a podcast ca- called At Next Picture Show, um, and you work for Polygon. Um, what what else do you have going on in your life work wise before we get into personal and politics? Even though seem those might intersect. <laughs> Not a whole lot work-wise. Um, used to be that I freelanced all over the place. Uh, yeah. I've been a film writer pretty much since college. And I used to I used to write about books for NPR. Um, I used to write about anime for the sci-fi channel. Uh, I just, I, I've had a, a very long and complicated and varied freelance career. But pretty much uh, if you're working full-time for an entertainment outlet, you tend to not do a whole lot else because those things will literally take up every second of your personal life. If you allow it, you know, you're kind of always expected to be watching more things and reading more things like just try to keep up on the entire world of superhero comics and uh, pop novels and what's going on with music right now. You know, just like literally anything and everything uh, can fit into your work life if you want it to. So, yeah, uh, yeah, I I don't really have a side gig going right now. Yeah. And to me, it sounds kind of like, I don't know, for me, that doesn't sound like all work. And I don't know, maybe movies are now feeling like work for you, but uh, it sounds like, uh, do, do you have fun with it? I guess is the question I'm trying to ask. You know, I do and I don't. Um, yeah. After you've been doing it long enough, uh, yeah, movies are definitely work. I, I've actually had to struggle a little in quarantine to watch movies for fun or to convince myself to spend my evening watching movies or TV because uh, it just it feels like a continuation of the workday. And oh, that's kind <laughs> when of a the bummer. workday runs from when you get up to when you go to sleep uh, in quarantine books have kind of been my passion because I barely write about books at all. So they're one of the few things that I do that don't feel like an assignment or like something that I might have to parlay into something I'm writing about or interviewing somebody about. Uh, And my other big passion is role-playing games. Um, So I've been doing a lot of that in quarantine because it's something you can do like pretty, uh, pretty easily and seamlessly over, you know, zoom or Skype or whatever system you're using. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Could you walk us through a day in the life of uh, what your job entails? Woof. Well, it's very varied. Um, I'm the film and TV editor, so I work with a lot of freelancers. Um, we're uh, I've got a couple of people who work directly under me. Um, one of them, uh, like one of my direct reports, moved over to Slate late last year. So we're in the process of hiring somebody new. So that's been taking up a little bit of time. Um, but I work with my direct reports to see what they're doing. Like, what's what's your project for the day? Um, have you produced anything? If so, uh, I need to edit it and help you get it up on the site. If not, I need to talk to you about like what the next project is. What are you watching right now? Um, what are you thinking about in terms of essays? What's What's hot and interesting right now? Like, do you have a take on WandaVision? Do you have a take on The Mandalorian? Um, 
So that's working with the people under me, working with the guy immediately above me. We look at the calendar, like here's what's coming up in entertainment for the next couple of months. How much has that moved over the past 24 hours, given that everything (laughs) on the calendar is moving these days? It used to be that we would literally sit down, you know, hey, it's uh, February. Let's plan the the March preview of the next six months in movies and put it on the site. Now it's like. Do we know what's coming up next week or has it all moved again? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I look at the calendar. Um, I send out assignments. I contact. Uh, there are a lot of freelancers that I know uh, and work with. So I contact them to say, hey, you know, we need a review of this movie that's coming up. Um, and then I contact the publicist and get a screener of it uh, arranged um, as stuff comes in. Uh, I, I edit it, like work with the writer to try to improve it to be kind of the best argument that it can be. Um, I gather up images for the the web. I put stuff into our content management system, post it, uh, share it around on social media, f- like figure out all this stuff about how we're going to package that. We do a lot of working ahead on big projects. Like right now, one of the big things going on in our entertainment team is a one-year Lord of the Rings project where we're doing a Lord of the Rings essay every single Wednesday. Cool. Um, and I'm, I don't have a whole lot of involvement in that, which is why it's been so great. Our comics <laughs> editor, Susanna Polo, has just been doing these amazing <laughs> essays about how, uh, how J.R.R. Tolkien channeled his own uh, optimism and hope into the series uh, one day. And then the next week, it was an Am I the Asshole uh, column from the point of Bilbo Baggins. Just really <laughs> random stuff like that. That's I'm enjoying hilarious. reading that series a lot. Oh, that's hilarious. So, like, I don't necessarily do all these things in a given day, but I do all of them in a given week. And every day is kind of a, oh, also, um, we get about 100 or so pitches a week. And I've got to sift through those and see if there's anything that we want to do with any of them and try to email everybody else back and say, this is why we we can't do this one. Um, but maybe be encouraging about what they could do in the future. So any given day is just kind of like sorting through <laughs> 5,000 emails from publicists, uh, you know, 20 or so emails from uh, people pitching me, 20 or so emails from freelancers saying, here's the piece or here's why you don't have the piece yet or here's what the next piece is going to be. Uh, and then trying to make sure that my reports are doing something. And then somewhere in the middle of all that, I try to actually occasionally watch a film and write about it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how you manage that in your day. Um, so sometimes very poorly. So, so the other day I was, I was, um, walking down the street, saw a paper on the side of the road, wanted to pick it up. Uh, I saw it was the, uh, January 18th, 1993 edition of the daily Iowan. Um, and I saw a couple of, um, and I saw a couple of, uh, similarities for today that we're experiencing some that line up with things that we all care about a little bit. The first thing was at the top of the thing. At the top of the newspaper, uh, it was talking about how Bill Clinton uh, was harping on a unity, a, a feeling of unity after beating Al Gore and about he was about to be initiated into office in two days, I think, at that point. Um, and so I thought that was kind of a weird simulation type event. The next thing I saw as I scrolled into the sports uh, section was that Jim Kelly and the Buffalo Bills had just beaten the Miami Dolphins to go into the Super Bowl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which we're all Bills fan and we're going to the conference championship uh, on Sunday. And then I think the craziest thing was I scrolled down and I started reading. This is just my chance. I always pick, I always pick up the daily. Wait, Island, scroll- but, uh, I thought you picked up the paper. Why are you scrolling? <laughs> it was a, I, I lied. It was a, I thought iPad it was on the, side, the sidewalk when you were yeah. on yeah. the yeah. lying in the street. <laughs> the yeah, iPad was lying was. on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fine. And I, and I want to read you guys an, an excerpt from the uh, arts and entertainment section. I want you guys to tell me if you know any of you guys, if you know what, uh, what movie this is uh, <laughs> referring to. Um, so taking an overused genre and bringing something interesting out of it is difficult, especially in, in inch, sorry, my reading is off. In an industry that has a habit of milking any successful concept for all that it's worth, sent oh, it says it right there. Manages <laughs> in itself the triumph and overcoming of a handicap. That was as a last bit of a an excerpt excerpt from uh, one of my favorite writers on the Daily Iowan. Um, <laughs> <laughs> 
Do you remember writing that? Big fan of uh, 1990s era Daily Iowan. Yeah, <laughs> I I like to relive every year like it's the 1990s in I- Iowa. So, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> what year was no, that? Was I, that 93 I don't or 92? 93, January. 93. 92 yeah. was a very good year for the Daily Owen. Yeah. <laughs> it was the first year you joined on, right? 92 was the first year. Through, oh, that's uh, why it was a good year for them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I saw a great, there was way more, there was way more articles. Uh, they actually wrote something on the paper. paper. So uh, in 91, there was just a blank sheet of paper they sent out to everyone. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Tasha. But uh, <laughs> there's a... There's a movie that debuted in 1993 that I have yet to see, but has relevance in what I've been consuming lately. Uh, I'm a big JRE guy, uh, Joe Rogan experience. And his most recent episode is in interviewing and having a conversation with Travis Walton, who is famous for having an abductee story. You would figure um, out how to work abducted this by century. aliens. <laughs> movie based off his experience in the seventies that came out in 93 was fire in the sky. I only vaguely remember that. Vaguely movie. Remember I remember that? it being surprisingly compelling. Yeah. Like I'm not a big UFO person and I take all those stories with a grain of salt. And some of them, some of the movies about alien experiences just kind of have a very like woo woo quality to them. Kind of a, mm. you know, everybody, everybody watching this is a true believer, right? Yeah. Like <laughs> we all know aliens built the pyramids, of course. Yeah. But I remember that film being a little more of, of a, like a straightforward thriller in a way that struck me as pretty compelling at the time. I, I remember not hating that movie. Well, is your favorite genre? Is that, is that the movie that you're, is that the movie that you uh, were had the excerpt from, writing about that film? No, it was "Scent of a Woman." Was the uh, the, the <laughs> Al Pacino oh my movie? God. <laughs> <laughs> There's a movie I remember a lot more vividly. Hua, <laughs> Hua, <Hoo-ah>, yeah. <laughs> he, uh, I, I was wondering. I've never seen that movie, but your first sentence is. Uh, is is talking about like do we really need another movie about a disabled person telling someone else, uh, of uh, an able person I guess using not the right terms um about how to really live life that's like the gist of the first paragraph and it's just like, at first I was like oh she did not like this movie and I read through and it sounds like it ended up surprising you um and maybe you liked it I remember uh there being aspects of it. I think I thought the movie making was a uh, reasonably high quality, like that the, uh, that the, the film kind of draws you into it, but <laughs> like the, the, the premise and the, and the title is basically that uh, Al Pacino, who's the playing a blind character is like just so driven by the scent of a woman. And, oh. <laughs> you know, these days you, you get somebody speechifying for several moments for several minutes about uh, how women smell and uh, the, the importance of experiencing women's smell. And you just start sounding like a super creeper. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. We should, that should be someone we hire for our podcast. Someone to sniff Eli and I back here. <laughs> <laughs> just give, give a thumbs up every 10 minutes. <laughs> I love that. Uh, that is really creepy. I was, I was trying to figure out how that could not be creepy with the title name scent of a woman, but, uh, I guess there's some moral sentiment there. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's a really, I, it, again, th- this was a long time ago and I've seen a mm-hmm. lot of movies since. And uh, my my memory for plot details is uh, often stronger than my memory for the movie making itself. But I, I, I remember just feeling skeezy after that film. It's It's kind mm-hmm. of a celebration of life in the way a lot of movies about you know, living with a disability or questioning kind of what your, what your purpose of life is or coming of age films, which it also kind of is. And in this case, I, I remember that film just being kind of a, like a coming of age film that's about learning the importance of a particular way of life and, and coming to see that it's beautiful. But that way of life has an awful lot to do with wine and steak and smelling women <laughs> and it's right. maybe just not a a point of view that i can i can really relate to enjoy exactly yeah, yeah. Um, it, I, I remember i feeling very regressive yeah it's it's so strange that people can take 
um, take such like, like, like a disability or a, or a culture or anything like that. Like I was watching the Prince of Persia the other day is what I'm thinking of now. And every single person is that in that is white. Every character in it is white. No one is Prince of Persia. (laughs) First of all, Jake Gyllenhaal is acting. He looks like a dummy in that one. Um, But he uh, (laughs) and they're taking all these things that like if you didn't know anything about that culture, you'd be like, uh, you'd be like, okay, maybe that's in Persia, but like, it's not, it's just random, like stuff that they found from like different sets that they put together. And it's just so ridiculous. It's so nonsense. Um, but that's my favorite type of movie is just the dumb, like, yeah, now obvious flaws. Now I want to watch both of these movies. I haven't seen some of a woman either, but it just sounds like Al Pacino, can't see and he eats steak and wine and smells woman. Like, yeah. I'm sold. I want to watch that. This sounds so horrible. Like a train wreck. It's uh what's, what's your favorite? Oh, go ahead, Tasha. What what's everybody's stance on like terrible, terrible movies? Like hate watching a terrible movie or enjoying a movie because it's so bad. I love if it's supposed <laughs> to be good. If it's supposed to be good and it turns out bad, that's great for me. If they're making it bad on purpose, I hate that. The bigger the train wreck, the more entertainment, for yeah. sure. <laughs> okay, I want to hear everybody's like single favorite total train wreck movie. Well, that might be The Room for me. The Room? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's a good one. Uh, that, that's, that's a good one, too. I, I, I can't tell where John Wick is on, like, I think John Wick has become self-aware that they are this type of movie and they try to be corny. So I'd say that that might be it. But um, I don't know. I got to say, I think the first one is trying to be exactly what it is. And I, I mm-hmm. think it does what it does really well. Yeah. Yeah. I, John Wick 3 is one of my favorite movies of, of all time but in terms of just <laughs> in terms of just bad, bad movies. I can't I don't know. That's a tough one. Cheek, you look like you have one on your mind right now. You got a, a I, knowing I really, smirk. I, re- I really don't, unfortunately. Oh, um, I know. It's Tron. Sorry. Tron Legacy. That's a bad movie. Tron wasn't yes. trying to be bad, though. It was not trying to be bad. There's no way. It was a Disney movie with Jeff Bridges and um, I forget who the other older guy in it is. But And Daft Punk does the soundtrack. And there's so many great like uh, recipe ingredients being put together in there. And then it just gets tossed out. And it's just absolutely garbage. And I love every bit of it. <laughs> and I can see the... <laughs> The best part of a bad movie like that is you can see what they're trying to do and how they failed at it. So then you're watching, you're watching like, oh, they wanted like the quirky guy, but the quirky guy was way too quirky. And then they wanted like the, the motivational speech, but you're like, oh, this made no sense. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, that's the, that's my favorite aspects of a a trashy movie. Tasha, what's your favorite? Uh, Unquestionably, hands down, it's M. Night Shyamalan's The Happening. Oh, I've never seen that. Oh man, I haven't seen that since I was a kid. I gotta rewatch that now. Was it? Is it really that bad? The, oh, it's so bad. I, that movie is trying very, very hard to be uh, a really important, emotional, meaningful thriller. Mm. And Shyamalan apparently just like really coaches all of his actors to give the most blank, starry-eyed, emotionless performance as possible. Hmm. Because uh, Mark Wahlberg and uh, Zoe Deschanel are both in that movie. And they've both been good in other things. But they just deliver the weirdest performances. Mm -hmm. And uh, the script is really odd. And then all of their line readings are really odd. And then you just have everybody committing suicide in bizarre, gory ways with really blank expressions on their faces. (laughs) I watched that movie in a critic screening and just like walked out laughing. And then I got (laughs) sent a a disc version of it, like before it had even hit theaters, Mm -hmm. uh, because we were right in the middle of awards season. So I I arranged a party for my friends to come over and watch it with me. (laughs) And it was the the best movie drinking game we ever played. Because people were just shouting at the screen, why would you do that? And (laughs) that doesn't make any sense. Who would say that ever? So I instituted a rule that if you had to ask a question, you had to drink. Yeah, And we eventually ended up with one of my friends, like just lying on the floor saying, somebody, somebody, please ask why he's so obsessed with hot dogs. I can't do it or I'll die. <laughs> that movie's a great experience. And then I turned around and showed it to a different group of friends, like 
two weeks later. Uh, I, I, I cannot recommend the group viewing of the happening enough if you've got people who haven't seen it or haven't seen it in a long time. That's the one where there's this like unknown disease, invisible disease cloud that floats through places, right? And then people just start acting crazy and running into trees in their cars and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Because I remember the music being super intense and I'm like, why should Mm -hmm. I feel intense right now? And it's almost like, like you said, M. Night Shyamalan was like, you act blank. I'm going to make this movie good by myself with just filming and music and see how I do. And everything just comes off so weird. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, there's a scene in that movie where they figured out that the the deadly whatever it is that makes people c- commit suicide is in the air and they're mm-hmm. standing out in a field in the open, which they didn't mean to be. And, and the wind is blowing the grass around and they start staring around themselves, trying to figure out where the air is. And then they start running away from the air. <laughs> <laughs> it's the most ludicrous thing you can imagine. <laughs> have you ever watched a movie like that in the context of like um with people who don't find it as funny as you and you find yourself like like you might have a stronger opinion on uh movies than i do but i find myself sometimes like i'll watch it with someone who's like oh this is a really good movie and watching it and i'm like trying to figure out how i can like this movie and at the end of it i'm just like "Eh." (laughs) but then you watch it with the right crowd like the way you're describing this movie and now how i have to watch it in that light and you're like oh my gosh this is golden like i i I don't know if you guys have ever had that experience but that that's something that clicks for me once in a while well i mean when you watch movies as a critic uh, there are a couple different ways that that happens Especially with art house movies, the studios tend to rent like this little theater in I'm based in Chicago and there's a little theater that's privately owned uh, that rents out for different kinds of screenings. You know, they mostly work with like businesses and whatnot. And so you can watch the movie in a small room with uh, it's got like 40 seats and for those, they're daytime screenings and only critics are invited. And critics are generally a very straight-faced, serious lot. Mm-hmm. And you could say that's because we're a bunch of like humorless assholes, or you could say that it's because like nobody wants to give anything away, or you could mm-hmm. say it's because we're all thinking really hard about what we're going to write, like however you want to think it. Mm-hmm. Uh, very occasionally, you'll be in a movie in the critic screening room where people are laughing, but mostly it's pretty quiet. But the other thing they do, especially for action movies or kids movies, anything populist, anything blockbuster oriented, is they they get an actual theater in a multiplex at night and they give free tickets to the public. And the energy difference between, I don't know, seeing an Avengers movie in a theater with 300 people who got tickets two weeks before the the movie comes out, who are like super fans and very excited versus Mm -hmm. seeing it in a room with 30 dour critics who are trying to keep straight faces. You know, (laughs) it's it's really palpable. Yeah. So, yeah, I've seen a lot of movies that I thought were funnier or more exciting than the people around me seems to be seem to be thinking. And then I've seen movies that. ah, hmm? Oh, go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. What do you mean? No, what do you mean? It's a a trick. It seems like it's a trick by the big movie theater companies to compel you into liking the movie more when you're rated. Uh, It's not a trick by the movie companies. It's a trick Mm -hmm. by the publicists. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Like. The difference between seeing, say, a a kid's movie, seeing a How to Train Your Dragon movie in a room full of kids versus a room full of, uh, you know, 45-year-old white males from suburban papers is huge. (laughs) And, like, of course they want you to see it with the kids. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I I, because like it reminds me of comedy clubs. Like if you don't hand out alcohol, that that stand up (laughs) amateur night can be a little uh, a little more stale. But if everyone has two or three drinks in them, all of a sudden everyone's laughing a little more, and you let you come out liking that show. Yeah, for sure. And I'm sorry to interrupt. You were um you you were you were continuing with your thought, and I I jumped in there. Oh, I don't know. I might have been done. I ramble. (laughs) Yeah, so do I. So we're gonna be. a match made in heaven. We're going to butt heads. <laughs> well, um, anybody that uh, I, listens to our podcast knows I'm a big head butter. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. I, I'm that's, kind of our resident uh, curmudgeon slash disagreer with everything. So I'm used to this role. Well, I was going to say I did listen to one of your podcasts and I noticed that you always take the side of dissent. You always have kind of like the more critical lens. 
Um, it seems, uh, when you watch a movie and tell me if I'm wrong, but, um, I'm wondering, do you go in wanting to be harsh on this movie? Are you saying, do you set, do you, do you consider your standards to be super high, uh, compared to other critics and regular movie watchers? And I don't know, does that affect your, if you're just casually watching a movie, does that affect that? No, I'm just a very picky person. Um, I never go into a movie with the attitude of I want to be harsh on this movie or Mm -hmm. I want to dislike this movie. It's like, why why would you do anything that you want to dislike? It's like, uh, you know, you don't go to a restaurant like, boy, I hope this steak sucks so I can just like really tell (laughs) all my friends how much this place blows. I hope this is a terrible (laughs) meal. Like, no, I I don't watch movies like that. Nobody watches movies like that. You want everything to be good. And like the, the big joy of being a film critic is when you watch something that's amazing and you get to tell people about it. You know, mm-hmm. that that experience of getting to share something you love with people. You want every movie to be that, you know, you mm-hmm. want to be surprised. You want to be delighted. You want to be engaged and empathetic. And maybe one of the reasons we're all such cranky people <laughs> is because, you know, Theodore Sturgeon said 90 percent of everything is crap. Movies are mostly made by committee. You know, we we really love our our auteurist theory that they're all just made by like individual people who are really smart, really principled. Um, but most movies represent a huge amount of compromise. Uh, some of it corporate, and some of it just what can we do with this time and this budget? And just an awful lot of movies are not not very good. And yeah, somebody who really. sees ten movies a year may not may not feel that somebody who sees 200 movies a year, you get a little tired of seeing the same thing over and over and over um, because some corporate uh, committee thought that it would appeal to people. So I, I think I do have high standards. I I'm a picky eater. I'm a picky reader. I'm a picky movie watcher. And I kind of have a strong sense sometimes for this is what a movie was trying to do. And it just, it didn't get there for whatever reason. Um, it had neat ideas and then it it sold them out one way or the other. Yeah. And that that is where a lot of my criticism comes in. Or the the other thing I think that movie critics maybe feel a lot more than casual moviegoers is, well, I've seen this movie like 50 times. Um, it was called something else when they did it last year and it was done better than this. And that's where some of the crankiness comes in. Yeah. But uh you know, you never walk into the room hoping the movie's going to be bad or like looking forward to being harsh about it. Well, you know, something that just dawned on me about what you're saying is that like, um, I don't know, I guess I'll call it the YouTube effect. When when your friend shows you a YouTube video and says, oh, this is so funny. Like you have to watch this and you watch it <laughs> and you watch it and you're like, mm, I don't know if it was that funny, as funny as you said it was, you know, and it, you, you have that comparison point. But it seems like when you get to go into a movie you don't, you have an absolute blank slate. There's no one that could be like this. I heard this movie is good. I heard this movie is bad. Maybe in your circle there is, but you have a lot less of that dissonance. It sounds like. Um, and so you actually do get to go truly in with a blank slate into a movie, which is kind of a special experience. I've never done that before. Honestly, that is, Mm -hmm. that is the best experience. A lot of my favorite ever movie experiences, um, come from film festivals where there's no word of mouth in advance and you've read at most maybe a paragraph about what the movie is. Sometimes not even that, you know, I've lined up movies at film festivals based on the director or the writer mm-hmm. and not even really had time to look into what it's about. And those are the best experiences where you get to sit down with no idea what you're going to see. And it, yeah. and it just unfolds. And yeah, Did you, you guys you, see Palm Springs? Oh no. Was so that I was listening to you, I was listening to your uh episode where you guys were talking about top five favorite movies, and I kept hearing that pop up a bunch. And it was a movie that I was discussing with one of my good friends over the summer who was like, you know, like it's just Groundhog Day and Andy Sandberg's not as funny as oh, that, that's uh, Bill Murray. Movie. And I'm just like, you're completely wrong. This is an incredibly fun, fresh take on Yes, it's, you know, another Groundhog Day, but it's a completely new way to do it. It's a smart way to do it. J.K. Simmons is hilarious in it. And it's a it's a rom-com at heart. You know, I love that movie. So it's really hard to write anything critical about that movie without talking about the fact that it's a Groundhog Day movie. Um, right. An awful lot of the things that it does that are interesting 
are because of the the different spins it puts on that basic idea. And a lot of people walking in the door to a movie want to have a pretty clear idea what they're going to see. It's like why rom-com trailer movie trailers tell you the entire plot up front. Like here's the entire emotional arc of the movie in this trailer. It always astonishes me that people, there are so many people out there that want a predictable experience um, get that. because they, they use movies as comfort food. I got to walk into Palm Springs knowing literally Andy Samberg is in this. That that was yeah. the sum total of what I knew about it. So as it starts unfolding all of those twists and, and tricks, everything was unexpected to me. And honestly, if I could experience every single movie like that, I would. That's so I, I cool. avoid trailers. Like, I know that anticipation culture has become a huge thing and people look forward to movies like a year in advance and collect like every scrap of information they can about them. And there's a whole industry of writing speculative, like what's which comics plot is the Black Widow movie going to use? Like, what's she going to do? Where's she going to go? Who's going to be in it? What are they going to play? And like, I don't want any of that. I don't want to watch the trailer. I just want to walk in and experience it kind of the way the filmmaker wanted uh, wanted us to experience it. I know for I've a fact. I've got a whole lot of bones to pick with J.J. Uh, Abrams, but the fact that he's so committed to the mystery box and mm-hmm. you shouldn't know what this movie is about before going into it and that he withholds so much information about any film he's involved with as a director or producer, I, I think is a great thing for cinema. I don't understand that point of view, though. Um, you know, why should I go see a movie if I have no idea what it's about? I mean, that's just one of the one of the ways that uh, film critics get to be different people. I mean, I I give up an awful lot of my time to movies, but I don't I don't often have to decide like, is it worth twenty bucks? Is it uh, worth your for me to time? see this? Yeah, that makes. Let sense. alone, is it worth a hundred bucks for me to take my entire family to it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But what if it's like on Netflix? What if it's uh, something where you're you're not committing necessarily a ton of money to it or even necessarily an evening? What if, uh, you know, if within the first 10 minutes you don't enjoy it, you can shut it off? Like, why wouldn't you want the experience of being surprised? Why would you read up a ton on that movie before watching it so you know exactly what you're getting and then watch it? I want to be surprised. I like surprises. Cheek, before your birthdays, would you search around for the presents in your parents' house to see what you got? <laughs> Shake them all. <laughs> well, that's, a, gotcha, that's, a, that's an unfair example, JJ, because I don't have the control over what my parents get me or not uh, for my birthday. But I that guess- That should be like support, response, spoiling surprises. My, my response to that would be it's all evaluation of- what is your time worth and would you rather be spending your time experiencing or doing something else? You know, why would I decide to possibly invest two to three hours on, you know, this movie called Endgame that everybody says is phenomenal, but little do you know, I hate comic books and that's going to be a complete waste of three hours of my life. Three and a half to four hours of my life. And I don't get paid for it. Yeah, you tell me that when you see a, a trailer for a new movie and it's very obscure and vague and it doesn't tell you the plot, you're not interested in that? That doesn't pique your interest? No, it does. I'm just trying to play devil's advocate here a little bit. I love okay, okay. watching trailers. It's When I'm bored at work and I there's nobody on the floor that I have to deal with, I will go to YouTube and I will type in 2020 trailers, what should I yep. watch? Uh, what should I be aware of upcoming? And then I'll see 30 seconds of a trailer and I'll be like, that 30 seconds was great. Let's move on to the next trailer. Like just so I well, know cheek. I'm going to want to watch it. But if I don't see that 30 seconds of the trailer, I'm, I'll, I will never go into a movie not knowing at least 30 seconds what I'm in for. I was, I was ribbing you earlier, Cheek, but I, you and I are the same way. You remember we watched The Dark Knight uh, with Bane, whatever that one was, Dark Knight Rises. We watched that trailer like at mm-hmm. least a hundred times before it came out. And we'd watch it like before and after school and we'd be so stoked about it. And um, so I'm the same way. I watch the, I love the Marvel movies. I get into the, like the, I watch the channels like Emergency Awesome and things like that where I can like, they tell me all their predictions 
and they're right a lot of the time. So then I'm just spoiling the plot of the movie more than the commercials already do for it. And <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why I do that. But once in a while when I can refrain or I just like go to the theater, there has been a couple of times where I go to the theater and say, ah, I kind of heard something about that one. Let's go to that one. Or that one has Steve Carell in it or uh, Lou Ferrigno. Uh, let's, let's jump in there and uh, let's jump in there and watch it. Going so back know. to I can, I can um, going back to the idea though that you know Tasha, you have the most fun when unexpectedly and knowing nothing about you see a movie that you love and you get to share that with people. You know, as a question, I'd love to pose to everybody: um, Have you seen a movie recently that has done that? I personally watched something a few weeks ago that I. Um, you know, I'd seen the trailer for, and I was like, man, I need to watch that. I've been saying that to myself for months and I, you know, finally like got the time and sat down and watched it. For me, that movie was on Amazon prime was called uncle Frank. I don't know if anyone else has seen that movie or is familiar with it, but like, I Never loved that. And what I'm just wondering, okay, so what'd you love about it? Yeah. What did you love about Ta- it? And what did you know about it going in? Mm. Going in, I knew it was the story. Going in, I thought it would focus more on the girl who's learning about what it means to be uh, a gay person in the, I forget the exact time frame of it, but the 70s or late 70s, I believe it was taking place. Um, I didn't know, and I think that the trailer did a great job of hiding how tragic the climax of that movie was. And that was really incredible for me. Um, I also love movies that give you a, a window into a time that I was never able to experience, but would have like, I dream of the seventies. I've people use that phrase old soul, which I hate, but I love the idea (laughs) of the seventies, not necessarily how it relates to gay people and their rights and how they were treated, but just having a lens into that time frame is is really interesting to me. Okay, hmm. so the end of the movie did something that was really unexpected for you, and you you did enjoy that. Like you do enjoy yeah. surprises in movies, but you you want a, some idea of what you're getting into first. Yeah, yeah and well, you just kind of balance those. I, I knew that I was getting into a movie that was going to discuss how gay people have been treated in the past in our country, and I uh, you know I'm an ally and I want to understand, you know, the plight of, you know, the people in my life who've gone through similar things. So like, yes, that movie is worth watching to me. And that surprise at the end, the dramatic climax was a wonderful surprise for me. I I'm sort of fascinated with the way people respond to endings that weren't what they expected. I've been in a lot of theaters where you get to the end of the movie and you can just hear an undisgusted angry noise go up throughout the theater. And mm-hmm. it's usually for downer endings that people weren't expecting, but uh, like at the end of no country for old men in the theater, I, I literally heard somebody say that's it. And yeah. there was just like a, a discontented what? rumble throughout the theater, you know, stuff like that. So it, it always fascinates me a little bit how people react to, to downer endings if they were expecting something um, more uplifting, I guess. And just how people respond to surprise in movies in general. Do you like downer endings, Tasha? (sighs) My mom is a big, a big positive ending person. Like I I think she would be happy if every movie was Benji. Mm -hmm. And she has definitely accused me of only liking films that films where everybody dies. (laughs) It's not that I enjoy downer endings, especially for their own sake. I may have gone through a phase, especially as a teenager, where I just thought they were more real and more, quote unquote, adult. But mm-hmm. I also went through a phase where I read like Charles Dickens because I thought that was that was what grownups read. This was what grown up novels were like. Yeah. And it's honestly, it's a little hilarious to me that when I was 16, I was uh, reading Dostoevsky for fun. And now that I'm a bona fide adult, I'm reading like superhero novels for fun. <laughs> um, he flipped it I, around. It's not that I... <laughs> It's not that I want a movie to have a downer ending. I want the ending of the movie to serve the the story, you know, to serve the characters, right? To to say something like meaningful and interesting. 
And like I grew up on Disney movies and classic musicals and that kind of thing where there's always kind of a happy ending. So when it's when it feels slapped on for the sake of market testing, like, oh, the <laughs> the people in the theater are going to yell, is that it? And storm out angry if this has a downer ending. So we're going to make sure he gets the girl. We're going to make sure the dog survives. We're going to make sure that everybody lives happily ever after. That can feel really fake. Yeah. But I don't know. I think I'm coming around to a place where there are enough downer endings in real life that I'm, I might be back to wanting something uh, happy in the, in the end of movies. It just, so, it really depends on the movie. Do you think that has anything that? to do with this past oh. year in general? <laughs> yep. Uh, follow, <laughs> For sure. Follow- Follow-up question with that though. Do you like um do you like nightmares? There's a reason for asking this. <laughs> do you like nightmares? <laughs> that's Jay, that's an invasive question, dude. <laughs> like experiencing nightmares when you sleep? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This um, is, I, I have a theory that I'm building. <laughs> I'm actually fairly neutral on nightmares. Like mm-hmm. I don't have I don't have particularly bad nightmares, I guess. I tend to more have anxiety dreams, you know, the kind of thing where you're out in public and you realize you forgot your pants and it's test day and you didn't study and you haven't fed your your cat in six months and it's probably dead and mm-hmm. that all hits you at once and, and there's a lot of dread. I have a lot of those kinds of dreams. Yeah. I don't have a lot of, you know, giant spiders made of glass chasing you through the streets kind of dreams. Right, so, right. I don't, I don't love nightmares. So here's the connection between the two things that I've drawn is that I like sad endings because I, like you said, you used to feel like it made it more real feeling. And to me, I like whatever the bold call is in the movie, like kill off the main character, um, that kind of thing. I like that. Uh, as long as there's reason, don't just do it for like, there's obviously horror movies that kill off the person and it's just for the sake of being a horror movie. But, um, I like it when the movie makes a bold call. I like it when the end feels bitter and it makes you like feel uncomfortable and not great. and makes you think about where it goes from here. I like that kind of thing. So since I like that thing, I've started realizing that I kind of like nightmares and this, <laughs> this might be a segment that will play for the psychologist we have on later this uh, season. And he might be able to psychoanalyze what this means for me. But, uh, <laughs> but I, um, I like nightmares because when I wake up, I'm like emotionally affected by it. And I don't know what I mean by that more than just like, I don't remember my dreams. My dreams are usually mundane. I wake up, I'm like, oh, that was a good dream, but I don't remember what it was. But when my nightmares play out, I'm like, whoa, that was crazy. Like I ever, I remember everything in vivid detail. And I think that just probably has to do with the mind tending towards remembering negative things. Um, but I don't know. So I, I, that's, I'm creating a thesis and I, uh, in my head at least where I talk to people and see if they like sad endings and, <laughs> and nightmares and see if there's any tie between that. Um, but aside from my tangent, what do you think about that? <laughs> I, all right. So my, my big question, I guess, is, uh, going back to, to what I just said, what are your nightmares like? Like, are your nightmares, uh, you're like you're stranded on an alien planet and you're on fire and uh, there, are, there are wolves chasing you or are they more like you know your family's dead and you don't know why or you killed somebody and you don't know what you're going to do about it like are they more mundane or plausible ser- like ideas or are they like big fantastical things or what so I would say that the feelings that I get when I <laughs> the feelings that I get when I wake up are like equally as negative but the plot could be um subjectively different feelings so like there could be the one the the flaming wolves are eating my family and then there could be the next one where like i can't stop annoying this person and they keep telling me that i'm annoying them <laughs> but for me i can't but for me <laughs> but for me they'll to everyone i wake up with the same emotions so uh to me it, it's more about like the feel like i go to a movie to like feel something about it you know and if i feel disconnected about it and don't care, uh, then, then I'm not going to end up liking that movie. And I think Casey Ryan, who we had on earlier said kind of something similar, but when I, um, when I feel something and I'm like, Oh, I feel awful after that movie or feel bad. Or like, I feel uncomfortable with that ending. Then that's when I know that the movie at least did it was probably doing its job. Not like, Oh, I'm angry that I paid money for this, but like, Oh, I think you put that. <laughs> I think you summed that up extremely well. Because that resonated with me big time, especially 
you know how I had that big nightmare bout where I was getting like uh, terrible nightmares every two minutes for a full night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a little bit extreme, but other than that, I love <laughs> nightmares. It's because it, you know, people people tend to attribute emotions, negative emotions, as not wanting them at all. Like I never want to be sad. Mm-hmm. I never want to be afraid. I always want to be happy. But the healthy balance is to have everything moderate amount, and I th- I think you you see the value in the, the scary things because they grab your emotion, they make you think about them and you remember them. Um, also, the flaming wolves keep eating my family quote on your <laughs> That reminds me that, I don't know if I told you this, but I had this a nightmare where for some reason I kept ending up at your house. Like your, your mom was the only one home and I kept like- Like in upstate New York? It, I mean, like it was a, an generic, imaginary house, generic house, house yeah. but like I, I was like riding a skateboard and like I hit the curb and then like I flew through <laughs> someone's door and like your mom was sitting in the, on the chair and she was like, Eli, I thought I told you never to come back. And I was like, I'm sorry. Like I, I tried to explain myself and I couldn't, it just made things worse. And that happened like three times in the same dream. And I woke up like so anxious, like. I keep ending up in JJ's mom's house and she hates me. I don't know what to say. Eli. That um, is a nightmare variant I have never heard of. That's great. I'll tell you what, you're lucky that that's only in your dreams because that was my entire childhood. was JJ's mom trying to kick me out of her house. (laughs) That is so true. Also, uh, yeah, this is a, you know how people don't like hearing about people's dreams in conversation? Well, this is a whole podcast about it, people. So <laughs> oh no. Can you guys still hear us? Our screen just went out. I s- yeah, I can see still hear you, but can't see you. I can still hear hmm. you. All right. Well, Tasha, so what, what's, a- what's a movie for you that you've been happy to share with people, excited to share with people? recently oh god that's such a good question and uh off the top of my head um what's i'm trying to think of something or or a tv show Uh, or just just something that's moved you in a not necessarily positive way but a way that makes you want to share it with others well i'll tell you there's uh, a film coming up that like the critics all have kind of raved about because we all got to see it in December because it was try- trying to qualify for uh, the 2021 Oscars. You never know whether to call them the 2020 Oscars or the 2021 Oscars, you know, because they, I, I found they're the four same movies. Thing with the football season, which, which is it, which year is it? Which Super Bowl was it? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So you, you you have that problem and, and people yeah. have just started calling them like, oh, the 71th, uh, 71th. That is definitely a thing that human <laughs> beings say in the world. 71. The 71st uh, Oscars <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Um, so the, this film um, came up like uh, in a lot of critics circle choice awards, um, just like a lot of uh, best of the year lists. Uh, it's Chloe Zhao's Nomadland starring Francis McDormand and it's going to come out in wide release in February. So that's going to be the first chance that most people have to see it. And it's just this movie. It's kind of a a sad downer movie about a woman who uh, her husband died and she kind of refused to leave the small town where they lived together because all of her memories of him were there. And then the factory closed down and nobody had work. And now she's just this nomad kind of going from place to place doing seasonal work and, you know, picking up kind of menial jobs and living out of her van. And I like, I've seen a lot of kind of indie core miserablest movies uh, that, that feel a lot like this. You just have this sort of sense of dread. It's just gonna, it's, it's like, all right, well, what terrible thing is eventually going to happen to her? Mm-hmm. And the movie doesn't really go in that direction. It's it's not one of these stories of like poverty is so grindingly miserable mm-hmm. and then you die which I've seen a hundred thousand times and it can be emotionally affecting, but it's also just very tiring and defeating. Instead, it just turns into this movie kind of about a celebration of being rootless. Um, She spends a lot of time hanging out with and talking to people. You know, it's a fictional movie, but most of the actors are non-professional actors and they're actual nomads, you know, people who Mm -hmm. live out of trailers and travel around America like doing pickup jobs or living on the barter system. Um, 
And so, you know, these are, these are real people talking about their actual lives. And then there's just a lot of incredibly gorgeous scenery um, as she, as she goes from place to place. And it kind of ends up being a, a celebration of like physical America. And, you know, as, as so many of us are living in quarantine, it's like, it's a celebration of mobility. It's a celebration of uh, social like social interaction it's a celebration of outdoors um it's a celebration of like the physical world and yeah. not really a whole lot happens you know it's it's not a thriller it's not about incident but it's beautiful and emotional and just full of all of these really surprising and evocative moments and an awful lot of us put it on our best of the year list because, you know, it just it really touched us in a lot of places. I think it fed us all in a lot of ways we were really hungry for. That's but, a great synopsis. Well, that's exciting. Yeah, that's I was going we'll to say. On our list. I just sat down inside one of your articles. <laughs> <laughs> well, OK, so you, you kind of began this all by asking, like, is it still fun or is it just work? Like, do you enjoy your job? And I guess the more nuanced answer to that is there are times when sitting down to yet another movie feels like a grind. There are times when I have to force myself to to turn on the TV, which just sounds so weird Mm -hmm. since that's what people do for leisure. But literally anything that you do for work, literally anything you do all the time, like if your favorite thing in the world is chocolate and you go work in a chocolate factory, you'll come to hate the smell of chocolate. Um, if your favorite thing to do in the world is play mm. basketball and you become a pro player, there will be a time where you're like, you know, my knees hurt. I'm tired. I don't want to listen to people screaming at me uh, all day. And I don't want to go play basketball and come up bruised and tired. You know, whatever you do constantly without a without a choice, you know, because you're getting paid and you got to do it on a schedule becomes tiresome. I almost never get tired of talking to people about film. Just like like asking questions like what's your what's your best hate watch or like what moved you or what did you think about that ending? Like listening to other people talk about what engages them in movies. Like that's pretty much why we do the podcast is I just I really enjoy listening to people talk about movies. All right. So you've heard the first half of season three, episode three with Tasha Robinson. Um Guess what? You're going to have to come back later this week, probably on Wednesday or Thursday, to hear the rest of it. Uh, So far, so good. Sorry to cut you off halfway there, Tasha. Um, But there's a lot more good stuff to come, including the rest of this conversation. And then we take a critique into her element um, when we uh, look at some Amazon reviews later. And uh, we critiqued those critiques. So thanks for listening, and I look forward to seeing you again in a little bit.